0: It is really so lovely to be able to be together today. And we're so excited for our guys who are away on camp. We're really trusting that God is working powerfully in their lives. Um, to those of you here this morning, a very warm welcome. And to everyone watching from home, welcome to you as well. So we are continuing on our journey through Exodus. And today we're going to be reading Exodus 19. Now, up until this point, we've seen how God has drawn the Israelites out of Egypt. He has drawn them out of and rescued them from lives of slavery, generations of slavery, uh, from a land just filled with idolatry, and yeah, from, from lives of abuse. And today, there is a bit of a shift that takes place, because the focus up to now has been the drawing out of and today we see God speaking to Moses and telling the Israelites what it is that he is drawing them into. My kids and I are reading this book. It is absolutely fantastic. It's called The Wing Feather Saga. And we are captivated. The first book in the series is called On the Edge of the Dark Sea of Darkness. <laughs> And um, it's about this family, the Igabies, and they live in a terrible land overtaken by fearsome creatures, the fangs of Dang. (laughs) It's nail-bitingly awesome. And throughout the book, the Igabi family... Know that they are somehow meant to be set apart in this place. They know that they are meant to live different lives in this place where evil has the upper hand. And throughout all of the adventures in the book, they are busy figuring out figuring out who they are and why their lives are meant to be wholly different. And I have loved reading this book with my kids while preparing for, the sto- for today because it reminds me so much of Exodus 19. We are called to live set apart. And this is not a novel. This is not a story someone has made up. This is the true story of our God. Um, As we read Exodus 19 today, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice how it starts with God, with everything that he has already done for Israel, and then it moves on to what he is calling the Israelites to, and it wraps up again fully focused on who God is, God is us, God, sandwiched together in the only way that is ever going to work. It reminds me of Psalm 139. You know that verse that says, He hems me in behind and before and lays his hand upon me. We are surrounded by a powerful God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come today and we hear your word, I pray that you will just give us a fresh revelation of who you are. Father God, thank you that you have um, caught us up into your love. Thank you that you have made us sons and daughters of God. We love you, Lord. Amen. So today, as we read through Exodus 19, we are going to see that we are chosen by God, we are cherished by God, and that we are commissioned by God. So let's jump right in. Exodus 19. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, "'This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel.'" You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. You are chosen by God. God speaks to Moses and he says, I want you to remind Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. God is reminding Israel that it all begins with him. It all begins with what he has already done and the lengths he has already gone to to rescue them. Friends, you are chosen by God. Out of all people, he has chosen you. He has come for you. Sometimes this can be hard to believe. And I think that this is why in Scripture God reminds us of this truth over and over again. I have chosen you. Maybe you're here and you're feeling like you just haven't done enough for God. Maybe you're thinking if he ever chose you once, you're not so sure that he would choose you today. God wants you to know that he is the one that steps in towards you, and he is the one that stoops down and picks you up and draws you to his heart. So Israel has been part of this crazy escape plan. It has been dramatic. It has been intense. And now they have been in the desert for two months, walking along. And they arrive at Mount Sinai. And here they are, and they camp here. Now, it's interesting. This is not the first time that Moses has been in this very place. Years before, he led his sheep all the way to the far side of the desert to this place where he had an incredible encounter with God. He saw a bush on fire, but not burning up. And from that bush, God spoke to him and he said, Moses, you better take off your shoes because this is holy ground you're standing on. And then God went and said to him, you know what, you're going to be here again one day and you're going to be here with the people of Israel worshiping me on this mountain. And now here Moses is and he isn't leading a flock of sheep. He is shepherding the nation of Israel. Can you imagine how Moses is feeling? Because... Everything that God has said has happened. And God calls to Moses from the mountain, and he says to him, I want you to tell the nation of Israel, I want you to tell my people that I have chosen them. Maybe you're here today, or watching from home, and you really need God to show up in your life I want to assure you today that God never starts with, this is what you have to do. Well, these are the things that you need to get right first, and then maybe I'll show up. God always begins with what he has already done and the lengths that he has already gone to to make us his own. The next thing that we're going to see as we continue to read through Exodus 19 is that we are cherished by God. He hasn't only chosen you. I was thinking about it this week. You know those speciality chocolate shops where you can go in and they've got all the chocolates laid out there and you get to choose the chocolate you want? And you have to choose really carefully because those chocolates are expensive. So you like have one choice and you look carefully and you choose your chocolates. And you bite into it. And it's like, yeah, maybe I should have gone with a hazelnut. (sighs) No, you are not only chosen by God, you are cherished by God. He knows you, he delights in you, he loves you, he enjoys you. God speaks into his relationship with Israel he speaks his love over her. He tells them, this is the, what I'm drawing you into part of my plan. From verse 5. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine... You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Can you imagine being the one getting this message from God? You're on the receiving end of this message, and you get to take this to the people that you really care about. You get to go and tell your best friend or your father or your child, you're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe what God told me about you. You're not going to believe what he called you. He told me you are his treasure. I love how God gives Israel an identity. For generations, the only identity they've had is that of slave. So now they are ex-slaves, and at best, they are desert wanderers, right? And God says to them, the whole earth is mine, but you are my treasure. That is who you are. You are my sons and daughters. You are are my treasure, and I am calling you into something remarkable. I'm calling you into a relationship with me, and you will be for me a kingdom of priests, and you will be a holy nation. God speaks over them the most magnificent identity anyone could ever hope for. But there are parameters Let's listen to that verse again. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. You see, God is defining their relationship and their role. This is who you are. This is your identity. You are my sons and my daughters. And because of who you are in me, this is how I'm calling you to live. We love the treasured part. (laughs) You are my treasures. We're not so crazy about the obedience part. (laughs) And that brings us to our third point. You Are commissioned by God. The Israelites are chosen and they are cherished, and now they are also being commissioned by God. God says, This is how you are to live because you are going to carry my banner. You're going to carry my name like a banner to the nations. I want you to be my light to the world. And so I'm calling you to live in a special and a set apart way. God is calling Israel and He's calling us into relationship. And this is no small thing because to live in relationship with a holy God means that we are going to need to live differently. And that isn't always easy. God says to Israel, I'm going to ask you to give up ownership of your lives. I'm going to ask you to trust me with everything. And we see Peter centuries later using these very same words as he speaks to the early church. 1 Peter 2 starts with, So get rid of all evil behavior. And then from verse 9 it goes on and it says, You are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Is the signing familiar? As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. If you obey, then, why obedience? Why does it matter how we live? Peter answers that question, so you can show others the goodness of God. God's expectation is that we live righteous, holy lives. In Amos 5, God is speaking to Israel, and he says, I don't want you to live lives that accept evil as the norm. And he's speaking to them quite sternly. And then in verse 24, he says this, Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice an endless river of righteous living. <laughs> that's what God wants our lives as his kids to, live, to look like. I mean, that's incredible. An endless river of righteous living. Floods of justice. That's what our lives should look like. So Moses takes God's message to the elders and he tells them, And they take the message to the people and the people say, yes, we will do everything that God has said. And then Moses climbs up the mountain again and he takes the people's response and they answer to God. Dudes, that man was fit. You'll see in this one chapter, he goes up and down and up and down and up and down that mountain. (laughs) I love the confident response of the people (laughs) Yes, we will do everything the Lord has said. Has God ever convicted your heart and you are just absolutely assured, you are certain, you just know that you are going to live for him and it is going to be beautiful. This is going to be amazing. And you are singing praises all the way home from church and you walk in and somebody has poured two liters of milk into the couch True story. (laughs) And your neighbor comes around and moans at you, and you just lose your groove, and what you knew, what you were absolutely assured of, what you were determined was going to last a lifetime, has lasted like 20 minutes. That's me. So the Israelites say, Yes, we're going to obey you fully. It's going to be amazing little do they know that God has them on the cusp and he's about to lead them into wilderness school where they're going to spend 40 years learning and relearning how much they need God and how they can do nothing without him. Let's pick up from verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud, so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, "'Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. "'Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, "'because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai "'in the sight of all the people.'" Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain." And then we read how Moses goes down and he tells the people how they need to consecrate themselves and what they need to do to prepare to meet with God. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. And then we read how Moses says to God, but you've already told us that. Uh, You've already told us to obey the limits that you've set. And God says, I need you to go down and tell them again and bring Aaron up with you. And that is what Moses does. the challenge with a holy god a holy 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 god entering into a relationship with sinful people is that it will kill us god's holiness will wipe us out god knows that the irony is we don't we think that we can sneak a peek at god and live We know that we're sinful, but we don't think it's such a big deal. We know that God is holy, but we do not begin to grasp how his holiness will devour us. It will eat us alive. Deuteronomy 4 verse 24 calls God a consuming fire. I love how it puts it in the Good News Bible. It says, the Lord your God is a flaming fire. He tolerates no rivals. The reason he tolerates no rivals is because he knows no one and nothing rivals him. We are nuts to think that anything ever could, but we do. We put other things ahead of God. And this is what God is trying to get through to the Israelites as he's saying, consecrate yourselves, prepare yourselves to meet with me. And as he's telling them, obey the limits I've set. Nothing can rival the presence and power of God in our lives. I believe, friends, that we need a fresh revelation of the wonder of our God. How do you prepare yourself as you enter into God's presence? Do you take a moment to even consider whose presence it is you are entering? God calls to Israel. And he calls them to prepare themselves and to consecrate themselves. It's like God is saying, I want you to get ready. I want you to prepare your minds and your hearts and your very beings for this encounter that you're about to have. I want you to come into my presence fully focused on who I am. And he tells Moses, put limits around the mountain. Put limits Friends, we are invited into a relationship with a holy God, and we think that there should be no limits. It's like we think that somehow we're on equal footing with the maker of the universe. We are not. I had two friends visiting my home the other day. It was actually Shan and Nicole, and randomly somehow the conversation turned to boundaries, and actually what a blessing boundaries are, what a gift they are for us, how we need boundaries. They bring a sense of comfort, and we need them in our lives, and our families, and in society. Why do we so despise the boundaries that God lovingly sets for us? Why do we do that as human beings? there's this episode of Thomas the Tank Engine. And um, Thomas falls off the tracks, and there he is lying on his side, immobile, and he's shouting out, Hooray! I'm free! At last I'm free! Uh, Because he's finally off the tracks. And we laugh because we know that that a train is only free when its wheels are on the rails. That's when it's free to move, when it's operating in line with how it has been created to function. And guys, that's us too. We have been created to live with God as the tracks on which our lives rest. When we are living in the limits that he has so lovingly and mercifully set for us, that is when we are living free and full lives. So on the morning of the third day, the Israelites wake up and they've spent these two days preparing and they gather outside the camp and they assemble because there are a lot of them. So they assemble out and this is the day that they have prepared for. This is the day that they are going to encounter God. And God descends on the mountain and there is fire and lightning and smoke and the whole mountain is shaking violently and it is terrifying. And God takes them and leads them towards that. To the mountain where God has come down. Guys, There is such a thing as appropriate fear. Uh, We went with friends up the West Coast a couple of weeks ago, and it was windy, and the sea was wild. And there was this trench just a foot or two out from where the waves were hitting the beach. And, I mean, you could see the raw power of the ocean, and there were some people who were letting their little kids play right at the water's edge, and I wanted to go and say to those kids, you just come back here. You come back now because you are playing with fire. There are some forces that should be feared. Even natural forces, like the power of the ocean, it's not a bad thing to have a little bit of healthy respect for that. Um, How much more so should we have a healthy and appropriate fear of our God? Our God is not a magic wand in the sky answering our prayers, our wishes. He is the beginning and the end. He is the mighty defeater of all evil for all eternity. He is holy, 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 holy. That is who our God is. Do you know that 144 times in the Bible we are told to fear God? And this isn't meant to be a paralyzing fear. This isn't saying that God is moody and angry and we need to watch out because he might take it out on us. This is saying that God is far greater than we can comprehend and that our lives should be full of wonder and awe and joy For who our God is. And in the next chapter, we're going to see how fearing God is actually a gift for us, it's a gift to us. Um, In Exodus 20, verse 20, Moses says, God has come in this way so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. The truth is, we need a holy God. We need to tremble a little in his presence. The Israelites were about to find themselves neighbors with the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and a whole lot of people who were living a whole lot not like God wants his people to live. And they are about to be faced with a world of temptation and confusion and pressure to live like everyone around them is living. We are called to be image bearers of our God. Godly fear means that when we want to do wrong, when we are tempted to sin, knowing who our God is, those encounters we get to have with our God on a daily basis will help us not to cross the line will keep us from sinning. Godly fear helps us to stay in the limits that God has so mercifully and graciously set for us so that we can live full and free in him. If we're honest, I think we sometimes get a little bit upset with the if you obey part that God says. Um, And maybe you have... Somebody that you know, a family member or a friend who takes offense at that. Like God is a God of love. He should love us regardless. Yes, God is love. That is exactly who he is. And he is holy. See, guys, from our limited vantage point, we don't see how God does it all how he carries it all. We don't bring an even contribution to the party. We don't bring half. He brings everything. He does it all. And then in love and in mercy, he graciously invites us into relationship with him. He invites us into it and he says, there are conditions for this relationship to work. And the conditions are that we trust him and that we give him our lives. We will give up our lives, but we will gain true life forever. And there is no greater gift. So God shows the Israelites who it is that he is so that they can know who it is that they're giving their lives to. Living in obedience is simply a response to the profound lens that God has already gone to to make us his own. God loves us. And when we realize he loves us and we experience his love towards us, we can't help but but want to live in a way that pleases him. So... What does Exodus 19 mean for you and for me? We are here. We're living our lives. We're going to work every day. Uh, we're raising our families. We are maybe we're struggling with health realities. Maybe you're faithfully waiting for a spouse. Whatever it is you're dealing with, whatever wherever you find yourself, what are the implications of Exodus 19 for our lives today? There are many people who say, like, if we behave well, if we do good things, that it's kind of like we'll get God's thumbs up, and then we'll be safe. There are others who say that God is love, so it doesn't matter what we do, we're safe regardless. The Bible says something different. And Exodus 19 shouts it out loud and clear. Paul Tripp puts it like this. You have been called to holy living. This means that between the already of your conversion and the not yet of your home going, obedience matters. Every thought, every desire, every word, every choice and every action must be done in a spirit of humble surrender to the commands of God Friends, Exodus 19 means everything because of Jesus. You see, Jesus came down too. God descended to the top of Mount Sinai, and the mountain shook. But nobody could approach God without dying. Jesus descends and he takes our sin upon us so that we can freely enter into the presence of God. God descends on Mount Sinai and he has to wrap himself. He has to hide himself in a cloud to protect the people from his holiness so they're not just all wiped out. Jesus Christ descends to earth and he wraps himself in our sin And then he washes us in his blood. I mean, the Israelites spent days washing and preparing themselves, and it would never be enough. Jesus washes us with his very own blood, and we are washed whiter than snow, not because of anything that we do, but all because of everything that he does. And then he takes us cleansed by his own blood. He takes us by the hand, and he leads us into the presence of his Father. I could never put it as well as the Bible already does. So I'm just going to read to you from Hebrews 12 and from verse 18. You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus. Friends, God is no less holy today than he ever has been. He is no less holy than the day that he descended on Mount Sinai. But because of Jesus, we can come full of joy and freedom as sons and daughters into the presence of a holy God. We can approach God in his holiness because Jesus approached us in our death. Paul Tripp writes of God's holiness, and he says, you have to preach this message to yourself over and over again. Evil is not in control. Injustice does not rule. Corruption is not king. Satan will not have victory. God is and always will be worthy of your trust for this one reason. He is Holy. Friends, we are drawn out of Egypt. We are drawn out of lives of despair and hopelessness, and that is phenomenal. (laughs) But it is what we are drawn into that is even more magnificent. We are drawn into a life lived in the presence of God. We are chosen, we are cherished, and we are commissioned. We are invited to build our lives on him, and we are invited daily to come into the presence of God as his beloved and cherished sons and daughters, and we get to take his image to the world. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and yeah, just as they just as they come up, you know what? While we're singing this song, and as we're lifting our praise to God, um, maybe just where you are in your seats, or if you're feeling like God is calling you to take a bolder step, then come stand here, especially if you're wanting prayer. Um, Maybe you're here in this place, and maybe you've never felt chosen by God, or maybe you've forgotten your chosenness. Maybe it's been hard for you to... um, really connects with the fact that he cherishes you he hasn't just chosen you it's not like you know when you're choosing somebody for a sports team and then you choose this guy and he's not so great and it's like maybe I shouldn't have chosen that one that is not how God chooses you you are chosen and you are cherished he delights in you and we are commissioned we are meant to take God's image into the world and live set apart for our holy God And so, yeah, feel free to come up if you'd love prayer, and somebody can pray with you. Um, Yeah, God loves you guys. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you. We want to thank you so much that we get to say to people that we are sons and daughters of God, and that we get to come into your presence because of Jesus. We are so grateful, Lord, and we love you so, so much.